Hi everyone, welcome back to the Steve Perriman podcast. Been away for probably a couple of months, resting up, enjoying ourselves, thinking about Spurs and all the problems. So uh, just to reintroduce, Tom is in the control tower. Welcome, Hello. Tom. Hi. And Howard, Howard is really the controller when Vivian's not around. So welcome, Howard. Howard actually should be um, Grand Canary, isn't it, Howard? Yeah. Well, there is this offer instead. So, well done. And anyway, our most important guest uh, is Julie Welch. Thank you very much for joining us. We're delighted to have you, Julie. I've taken my lead from the Spurs show, Mike Lee, uh, who introduced you as journalist, author, screenwriter. And you're also doing the next edition of the Tottenham Hotspur biography. I think that's the third edition, isn't it? No, it's the fourth. Fourth. Mm. Well done. Yeah. And every single one has a different manager. <laughs> of course. Oh, I no. Suppose. Sorry. Actually, I lie. First, the, they, the first, the, the, the biography came out first time in 2012, and that was Harry. But um, Harry read that left quite quickly and then we went on to AVB so the time by the time the second one came out in 2015 Pochettino was already there and the third one came out in 2018 and amazingly Pochettino was still there but wow. this one we all know what's happened sure so um it I should have got it finished about to Three months ago, something like that. But of course, you know, I'm just waiting to find out where Harry's going. Because sure. he is going, isn't he? None of us three know anything. Really, we don't know anything. Uh, we're, we're nowhere near it. But anyway, so <laughs> me neither. But it's great for you to, to join us. Thank you very much. And uh, Toby told me today that you, the biography is out in late autumn. And is available from the club shop. Toby of um, Vision Sports Publishers, who we share, so we have something in common, which is which is very nice to know. So um, so let's start. Um, I'm going to ask some questions, and uh, Julie's going to answer in her own fashion, and then one of the three of us will also give our opinion on our take on that question so the best player you've seen play at Tottenham Hotspur Julie the best yeah probably oh, no, okay your favorite your favorite is so. well I'll, I'll give you the, um the best um I've seen isn't my favorite um and also I've always I always get into terrible trouble because I always say Gareth Bale instead of Glenn Hoddle but I do think Gareth Bale is the best Spurs player I've seen, but um, not my favourite. Because? Um, now, I've got several favourites, modern favourites or kind of um, longer ago favourites. And Your Steve, choice. I'm going to embarrass you here because you choice. were one of my favourites for uh, years and years. That's I didn't so, ask the question for that, but nah. thank you very much anyway. But it, it, it was so great to watch you. But my other favourite... 
from, you know, even earlier, actually, was the King of White Hart Lane, Gilly. He was so great. He, he, oh, you know, just to see him, this guy who looked like a bank manager. (laughs) And and I had no idea, you see, what what a character he was behind the scenes. I mean, you know all about that, don't you? Yes. I roomed with him for about four years. And um, what a teacher, what a teacher. I, I didn't learn everything from him, but uh, he used to delight in taking me out to his favourite Greek restaurant up in London and uh, throw the plates and do the stuff. And the bottles always came out with the line on where he'd left it last time. And uh, yeah, great, great man. I, I love Gilly. What a style, what a class, what a... What a great man. So you've but, got you've got good uh, you've got very good taste. Well also, I mean just just a word about how he played, you know, because I, I um my first year of reporting, I did get the chance to sort of go to White Hart Lane occasionally. And I think the first um game I reported at White Hart Lane, um he came he did this amazing header. You know, he, I can't, I think he sort of defies physics. He did defy physics. You know, the way he just sort of seemed to hover in the air. And this sort of amazing balding bank manager who, you you know, you you wanted to ask him for a 5,000 quid loan and he was just hanging in the air. And I I mean, the the guy was absolutely miraculous. He did, to me, he didn't look like a footballer at all. Absolutely not. And he, 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 oh, what a player he was. One of my first jobs when I got in the team was to float in a near post corner. Float it in and Gilly was the target. And some of my deliveries weren't great, but Gilly always seemed to get there. <laughs> Touch it on. What, did, um, and if you, I mean, I watch Harry Kane playing and to get a header, he sort of contort, contorts yeah. himself. Often, because yeah. he, he obviously is a really tall guy. But, sure. you know, um, almost, one he gets scored, it, almost gets it from behind him. Yeah, yeah. There was Gilly one he scored be. at the Euros and he was, yeah. uh, it was it was a really funny shape. But Gilly never seemed to do that. He just seemed to sort of, you know, vertical takeoff. Absolutely. I mean, d- different style again from Cliff Jones, <laughs> who, sure. um, the, the, the king of the diving header. Launched itself at the ball. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Howard, you've got uh, this question. <laughs> so there, there have been many great players ranging from those we bought, but those became, who became true Spurs greats and those who came up through the youth team. I thought long and hard about this, and I ended up with a selection of great players with dazzling skill through the youth onwards. Two here started out, Steve himself, whose dedication to the club and his team is exceptional. As my friends Terry and I would always see an opposition player hurt one of ours, we would look at each other and nod saying saying that Steve Steve will be coming along soon and Steve would sell us like a bus dispense retribution it's coming along soon it might be 30 seconds later it might be five minutes later but it would happen yeah sometimes it was three games time <laughs> true but my favorite player has to be Glenn Hoddle comfortably the most talented English player of his era If only Bobby Robson had thought to build his side around Glenn, I believe he would have won the World Cup in 82. The other player who might have been my number one, I only saw him at the end of his career, but from everything I've heard, 
He had both the skills of a Glenn Hoddle and the steeliness of a Steve Perryman. I refer, of course, to Dave Mackay. Big Dave. Great friend of Gilly. So that ties it all nicely. On to the next question. Thank you. Best opponent. Julie. Best opponent. Um, that's, you mean, do you mean my favourite oppo opponent your favorite, player? Your favourite, yeah, absolutely. Well, I had to, uh, there were players I liked to watch um, who actually weren't, <laughs> weren't very good. That it's, it's coloured a lot by the fact that, you know, the ones I met were often very nice. Sure. Uh, I suppose my favourite opponent player was Norman Hunter, because he was the second player I ever interviewed. Fantastic. And I went up to Ellen Road, and, I mean, we all know Norman's reputation. Um, sure. Uh, so I walked into the reception at Ellen Road. I mean, you could just ring up a club in those days as a journalist, and you could get yeah. to speak to the player you wanted. And anyway... He walked into the reception, he was wearing his tracksuit, and he had this tin of Johnson's baby powder in his hand. It was just so sweet. And he was a complete love. He really was. He was the nicest man. And every time I met him after that, I, you know, I bring him up for an interview or whatever. He was just great. You know, he, he, was, he was a smashing, smashing man. And I was so sad. I cried, cried, cried when he died. I agree with everything you've said there. He did a number of talks for my brother Bill at Yedin Football Club. And um, what a gentleman. What a, that, that's a hard thing to say about Norman Hunter when you knew how he played, but what a gentleman he was. So I'm going to answer this one. I have a number of players. Kevin Beatty, I loved. Dalgleish, Bobby Moore, Brian Robson. But George Best was the best player and my favourite player and that's hard to say about someone you played against but I paid him the respect that I don't think I ever tackled him, I don't think I got anywhere near kicking him because I wasn't good enough so um, just could sprint and stop, sprint and stop, dead and you would go on about another 12 yards past him and therefore he went the other way and did the other stuff but incredibly brave as a player. No one would say that about him. They think about his, his technique and his pace and his trickery. But, um, but he, was, he was by far the best player that I ever played against. And therefore, you know, out of respect, I think he's my, uh, my favourite as such. So, uh, best moment. Best moment, Julie. Do we want a best Spurs moment? Yes, please. Oh, that is sort of difficult. Because, I mean, I, in modern times, I'd just have to go for Amsterdam and Lucas Moura's hat-trick. Absolutely. Because we're not allowed to swear on this, are we? I think you've maybe sworn before the podcast. Yeah. So I think but, you're entitled I mean, to level it up. So, because, um, I mean, I didn't go to Amsterdam. I was watching it at home. Um, and I, the, the, when, when the third goal went in, I was kneeling 
on the living room floor in front of the telly. I, I can't say the F word, can I? Try. I can't. Try it. Well, I was just, I was nearly I've on the floor. I was banging the floor. I was like, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. It was just, <laughs> it was just, it was the best moment. But there was one, there's one sort of other favourite Spurs moment. Again, we're talking about modern times. And it was um, the second leg against Man City. Um, and Ryan Sterling got that goal. And we didn't realise. My husband was so furious, he just turned the TV off. That was it, you know. <laughs> So, and we went off to bed and <laughs> one of my boys who lives and works in Hong Kong rang the next morning, you know, full of it. Yeah, did you see? Did you see? Did you see? I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know we'd won. Oh, what a moment. So I'm, I missed that? it all. That's a great know. moment. Oh, you know, I just I, 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 I just wished I'd seen Pep in that horrible hooded cardigan he always wears, you know, sort of storming around, you know, <laughs> along the touchline. Um, that was a moment in my life that I'll never get back. I, you know, I missed it. Wonderful. Tom, you have a moment, Spurs moment. Yeah, so I think the, the two Julies just mentioned uh, uh, fresh in the memory as being like two of the most incredible moments of, um, of, of recent times following Spurs. Although I've got to say both of them, I can't remember celebrating. I think I was just gobsmacked and, and, and unable to speak with both of them. Um, and in, in, in terms of kind of the, the moment I've gone for was actually 20, well, nearly 30 years ago. And it was when I was, I was young, I was 11 or 12. And it was when I was, you know, I'd, I'd kind of grown up just about remembering Hoddle and Waddle, but then uh, it was more kind of Gazza and Lineker who were my, and, and Gary Mabbott, who were my kind of heroes as I was, as I was kind of really growing into being a, a Spurs nut. And in 1992, um, Gazza and, and Lineker left and, uh, and suddenly like the, I felt like my, the heart had been ripped from, from my childhood, given that I'd kind of had these two amazing players as so, so well connected with Spurs. And so 92, 93, um, I just remember the season was just kind of plodding along. Um, never really felt like we got going. I felt we were missing, yeah, we were, we were missing Lineker's goals. We were, I mean, Gaza obviously hadn't played the season before, but we were, we just looked like a pretty dull team, not really achieving much. Anderton wasn't showing the promise that he'd, um, yeah, he, wasn't, he wasn't living up to the, his potential at that point. Teddy Sheringham was a bit of a slow starter. Um, and I just remember thinking like, oh, you know, Spurs isn't as, as fun as it was um, and then it all changed at half time in a game against Southampton when we were 1-0 down to an Ian Dowie goal at half time and then uh, I say I say I'm picking a favourite moment it was actually four moments it's when we scored four goals um, Teddy got two Darren Anderson got one Nick Barnby got one um, and in terms of just pure joy uh, at a football ground that was just incredible and we hadn't really felt that at, at White Hart Lane for a long time um, and that kind of was felt like the game that kind of kick-started things for Teddy um, for Darren Anderton I think it was his first league goal um, and we then ended up going on a really good run um, towards the end of that season and things were looking really um, really yeah really, really positive Teddy was 
you know, scored loads of goals before over the next few weeks. Um, and, you know, who knows where it could have gone. Um, if that that moment turned it all around. I felt so in that season. Yeah. And it just, and for me as a supporter, as a young, um, you know, 11 or 12 years old, um, for me, it was, I kind of suddenly felt like, um, joy at the uh, joy at the football again, which I I don't think I'd really experienced that season. And and you know you're at a very impressionable age at that yeah. point, and um, and that meant a lot to me that game. On to the next. Which season was most enjoyable? <clears throat> which season was most enjoyable? Um, again, from a supporter's n- point of view, of course. Oh. 2016-17, it was just wonderful to be a Spurs supporter. Last season at the Lane, wow. you know, um, beating Arsenal, beating Manchester United, you know, it was, and the, uh, what a, what a season to to leave leave that leave our home basically. That I mean that yeah that was my favourite in modern times. I mean if you're talking about prehistory. The season I became the Spurs supporter, of course, 60-61. Absolutely. Um, that was quite nice. <laughs> That's so long ago now. Um, Fantastic. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I sort of, I get older every year and I think, will, will I ever see Spurs win the title again? I don't know. Do you ever think about that, Steve? Um, I thought it during the, when Leicester City won it. I saw the first half of football we played at Stamford Bridge, and I mm. thought this is a this is mm. a real team, mm. this is a real team, and it sort of all went wrong after half time, didn't it? Just before half time, with a sort of fracas and etc. Dembele, and then, yeah, Dembele, and then it, they pulled it yeah. back second half. But yeah. I thought that was our that were was when we were at the peak that I've mm. seen. Um, in later years, similar to you, off doing the press at various grounds. I was in Norway, then I was in Japan and down at Exeter. And when you're deep in the mire of the second division, <laughs> trying to fight relegation in the bank manager, you know, you haven't got time to see what's going on at Spurs. But anyway, so, um, but I, I sometimes do think about that. Will, will we ever? And it, it's... It's, it's a marriage between the boardroom chairman, the manager, and the captain. If you've got leaders in those three areas, you've got a chance. And we, for whatever reason, we've missed out in certain areas, haven't we, over the course of time. But um, Howard, you've got an opinion on this? Yeah, um, yeah very different situation to everybody else. My favourite season was 1977 to 78. This season really started on the last game of the 76-77 season. The final match ended at White Hart Lane. The players didn't know whether to do a lap of honour or not. The crowd knew. They decided that the team, team, with certainty, we would be straight back. They were right, of course. So at the beginning of season 77-78, we all wondered what life would be like in the second division. The teams in that division were generally quite small. So the visit of Super Spurs was regarded as a festival day with special programmes, etc. We were in the top three almost all season. But this is Spurs. We became so nervous that we stuttered towards the end. In our final game, we had to at least do as well as Saints to go up. 
Viv and I were waiting our first baby, which proved very problematic. Nerves were so jangled, it was a miracle. We went out and our daughter was born. <laughs> so thank you, season 77, 78. What a season. What a season for getting back, back to the real stage of the first division. A struggle because we're Tottenham. Nothing's easy, is it? Um, but the emergence of Glenn Hoddle, Neil McNabb in midfield. The arrival. Good, good player. The arrival yeah. of Ozzy and Ricky. Yeah, after, yeah by happen. getting up, by getting up, we had the chance to sign them. Keith Birkinshaw never told them, you know, he never told Ozzy, who was doing all the talking, that we'd just come up from the <laughs> second division. I said, what difference would it have made, Ozzy? He said, I wouldn't have signed, would I? <laughs> You, Steve, you, you posted a picture of Ossie and Ricky on Twitter, yes. I think yesterday. Yes. And I was, it was in, I was interested because it, it's obvious, you know, you really quite reckon Ossie. Um, and I wondered what you learned from him over the years. The main, remember I worked uh, as, a, as a teammate alongside him and I worked as his assistant with Spurs and then in Japan. The overall thing I learned from him was about tempo, the tempo the game needs to be played at. And he spoke with tempo. He had tempo in his own way of walking and making decisions and stuff. And, and um, you know, when a, when a foul's given away, the, the opponent doesn't like the referee giving the foul. So they'll argue, hand on the ball and play. Get the referee out of trouble. And... By the way, if they're arguing with a the referee, they're not in the right position. And I hope this would bear fruit um, when we were working together under the, the sugar regime. Unfortunately, it didn't, didn't. But Aussie took the least powerful club in Japan from the least powerful to league winners. And we won a cup and, and more. And... He kept saying to the press, our team is the quickest passing, quickest moving, make quickest decisions out of everyone in Japan. And I'd read it again and again, week after week, and I'd say to Ozzy, that's not really true, Ozzy. We're not that. He said, but we will be. And they've got to believe it, and they've got to read it, because we will be. And guess what? We were. We were. So his, his love of the game, his respect for the game, um, but the belief that you need to move the ball quick. And I think looking back to last year as disappointment last season, we were not capable of moving the ball quick. We had too many players who, who ripped the life out of our tempo. And, um, and that's why we struggled. So... Um, but great man to learn from, great man. And Ozzy was to Minotti as Martin Peters was to Ramsey. He was plucked out of league football and put in the national team as one of the, the main players. And as Ozzy said, you want pressure, Steve? I'll give you pressure. Because uh, Minotti was such a political character, if there's an 80,000 crowd, half of them love him and half of them <laughs> detest him. And because I was seen as Minotti's man, 
when our dealer's name was read out, 40,000 boos for your in Buenos Aires for your team, your your national team. He said, Steve, that's pressure. That is pressure. So great man. I'm so proud to have played with him and, and be called a friend. And um, he's godfather to my uh, to one of my daughters. So um, yeah, great man, great family, lovely, lovely people, and and was Ricky as well. So so the last one is the favorite manager, Julie. Favorite manager in your time. In my time. Um, oh, again, big love, Pochettino. You know, just so warm. You know, you'd, you'd meet him and he'd give you a hug. And he was this great big man, you know, the man mountain. And I'm sort of, I'm five foot two. But, you know, oh, to be given a hug and have him kiss my cheek, you know, it's the child <laughs> thing. Not going to wash for a week. I just, I thought, you know, a really, a really special guy. Not like, I, I can't think of another manager I've met who is, you know, as warm and as, um, I don't know, I, I can't explain it. Um, actually, I'm falling back on something that Ossie told my friend Rob White, um, John White's boy. Yes. Um, he said that, that, there are two kinds of Argentinian men. There's one, you know, who's the sort of strutting kind of peacock bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's a nice Argentinian sort like Ricky and like Pochettino. Yeah. So Pochettino was the nice sort of Argentinian man. There's no, no Argentinians hiding behind the door. No, there. No, okay. That's good. Not for sure. I, I, I really want to Pochettino. I, he, he presented me with his book and he loved hearing stories from me about Ozzy and Ricky when they first came. And the story that he loved the most was they join in the summer, it's getting colder and colder and Chesham was a great place to train. But sometimes it was colder in the dressing room than out, outside. Anyway, so they would come in with more and more clothes on and more and more scarves around their faces and their necks and stuff. And Ricky walks in this day and you could just see his eyes and he's, you can see that his eyes are smiling. And of course we said, hello, Ricky. And then he took a jump and landed with two feet in the middle of the dressing room at Chesant. And he said, the cat sat on the mat. <laughs> And we all applauded. I don't know why. I don't know how that was going to help us win at Anfield the next Saturday or what. But he'd obviously had an English lesson the mm. night before. And, um, and this was his teaching coming out. He was letting us know that his English was improving. So but he, he was a wonderful man as well. I always say it about the Argentinians. Not only did we sign two, one great player and one very good player, um, but we signed great people. And if, you, if you've got the combination of that right, you've got a chance. So, Tom, to you, manager. I mean, Pochettino was, was just a breath of fresh air for us for the first time at Spurs. Um, no one expected him to be as much of a success as he was. Um, and but, but I'm going to go with Martin Yole. Um, in, similar to what Julie said about just, you know, 
being being a decent guy as as a, as a manager means so much to me at Spurs. You just want someone that you can identify with and root for. Um, and Martin Yol was just so avuncular, but so so knowledgeable as well. And um, and you know, it all kind of happened by by accident, really. Him coming in after the ill-fated Santini two games or whatever it was. But um, but yeah, he was. I, th- I think before Martin Yol, we'd we'd become accustomed to mid-table mediocrity. We weren't expecting. Yeah, we, we couldn't even imagine the concept of playing in the Champions League, um, yeah, let alone qualifying for Europe through the league. Um, and I think his time at Spurs was what started the um, the kind of renaissance in terms of us challenging the top six, the top five, and then the top four um, on a more regular basis. Um, and, you know, you just kind of think what, what could have been if it wasn't for Lasagna Gate um in 2006 um and uh, and you know it, also one of my favorite ever atmospheres at white hart lane was um the seville game in the um in the uefa cup in 2007 we were losing we were two nil i think two one down on the night actually um and going heading out yeah we needed two more goals which we you know, were unlikely to get but the whole for 60 minutes non-stop we were just singing martin yell's blue and white army mm. um and the atmosphere was just incredible the love for this man yeah who just kind of represented our club with such class and such such dignity you know never made it about him unlike certain others um he was just he was he was great really lovely guy met him a couple of times um and i think you know that night in seville was 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 wonderful and you you just kind of think what sorry that night at the seville game you know we lost but just the connection between the club was similar to what pochettino brought back um, a few years later and you just kind of think like what would Twitter have had to say about the idea you know these days about the idea of um, of a stadium singing and cheering a, a manager when we're losing you know it's like there's I'm glad I'm kind of glad social media wasn't around back then because um, I think we'd have got almost um, you know a, a, a lot of the Twitter managers would have kind of called us losers called us Spursy. Um, yeah Spursy exactly but you know that night was 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 just probably the most the most passionate defeat I can remember being at in terms of just um what 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 the club meant to me that evening and and Martin Yell played a a big part in bringing that feeling back to back to the club nice memory Harold I'm throwing this one at you as a as an extra what's your initial thoughts on the new manager seen very little about him he strikes me as very calm which I think some people will use after all we've been through um and he seems he seems seems pretty genuine. Now, maybe may the way he's presenting himself, but at least I'm more pleased than I was a month ago when we didn't have anybody and the names that were being thrown up were only stop gaps. Yeah. Going to take no this is this guy's got a chance of getting us back on track. I think the clue is well, the clue for me is I liked him and respected him when he was the Wolves manager. And I heard his after-match comments, mm. having now and again watched the live game and being <clears throat> Wolves, I thought how genuine he came across. And I think there's a need for that at Tottenham at the minute after Jose and everything that's been going on. So, um, so yeah. Julie, have you got another question for me before we go? Steve, we want to go back in time now to when you were just a boy. And I was very interested um, reading Forever a Spur, which is one of the best books ever. I just loved it. Thank you very much. The way you talk about Phil Holder, Chief, 
I just sort of thought I'd like to know what those two got up to when they were teenagers. <laughs> tell me, tell me about you and Chief. Yeah, great question. I um, I believe that if you're successful in life, you you meet the right people at the right time. And the first one I met was my brother Ted, who probably from about five years of age to about 14, led me in football knowledge and opinion and made me aware of what a leader should do on the pitch and stuff. Not, not necessarily be a leader, but just help the players around you. And when I signed at Spurs as an apprentice, I met Phil Holder. Phil was one of a big family and had to fight his corner to get a shirt ironed to go out or to go to a game uh, or food on the table. He had to fight his way through. So although we were both 16 to 18, he was like two years older than us, the rest of us, because of his experience. And he brought to my game um, competitiveness. He wanted to win at every second of every day. He wanted to win an argument. He wanted to win. He wasn't a bully by any means, but he would just inspire to want to be better. And it, it, it happened when we were driving the car. I, I eventually learned to drive and, and it, I would pick him up at some station or other around the north circular journey. And um, the, the talk in the car was just all about doing it right being a winner, being a leader. The best way I could describe him was he was a pocket Dave Mackay. In that end of the club where the young players trained or that end of the club where Dave was during our apprentices, we had a leader like Dave Mackay who stuck his chest out and it just oozed oozed leadership and Phil was the the captain of the FA Youth Cup winning team with Perryman in the team and Holder uh, and Suness in the team Phil was undoubtedly the captain and for Bill Nick to pay him the compliment of calling him chief says everything and we had a system as apprentices that when your boots were wearing out you had to go to Johnny Wallace who was leading us Johnny Wallace was a trainer in a white coat who stood against the wall with a, with a, uh, like he was taking notes about things. I don't think he ever did. Anyway, um, you had to go to Johnny Wallace and show him your boots. And then he would decide, yes, you need them or no, you didn't. Well, his standard answer was, got six more games in them. And he gave Phil this one day, go away, at least six more games in them. He said, fuck off, John. I'm not ah. having that. I'm not having that. So he said, okay, yeah. So now you go to Mr. Nicholson's office and he'll sort you out. And because of the, because of the unfairness of that system, Bill relented and said, Phil, you, you can have a new pair of boots, but don't ever swear at Johnny Wallace again. <laughs> you, you are swearing at the wrong man. <laughs> so so anyway so it was like an arrangement between two clever people of the way to progress forward and um i i i took phil eventually to japan with me to uh, to run the reserves 
and I could not have taken, because Japan is all about respect. I could not have taken a more respectful man uh, to be alongside me out there in this very respectful country. And they adored him. They just adored him. And um, he was quite, he was, you know, about five foot four. And so uh, I think he was a, a sort of tall man in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but he showed them ultimate respect and the way that he, he spoke to them and treated them and dealt with them. And um, so, but I followed Phil in this competitiveness. And he said to me one day, driving out of Chesham, uh, we'd played for the reserves against the first team. And he said, Steve, really surprised at you. Why? Alan Mullery kicked shit out of you today. What do you mean? When the ball came to you, he was on the wing and you saw him come in and you just passed it round him to go around the other side. And Alan Mullery took about six inches of dirt and you and smashed you up in the air. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that happened. So what, what, what should I do? What, what are you saying? What, what, what do I do next? He said, fucking nail him tomorrow. <laughs> this this is the captain of the club he's talking about. So he just he brought a, a competitiveness to me that must have been in me. I don't think he could put it there, but it, he just brought it out and he showed what being a competitor and a leader is all about. And uh, I have a, I have a lot to thank that uh, that that man for. And um, we still speak every day. He's uh, a, a very, very good friend. And um, yeah, good man, good man. Unfortunately for Phil, he played for the first team really only when I was injured and I wasn't injured that much. So for this, this player that I had such respect for, we, we did play together. And when we were on the same pitch, the first team pitch, we played against Man United one day. I knew where he was every second of the game without him telling me he was there i knew where he was there was like a link between the two of us uh, without a look and of course you you play and you look and and there he is but you know even if i didn't have a chance to look i knew that i could play it there and phil would get it so um a, gr a great combination to have and uh yeah nice i'm place. gonna keep this podcast Forever, because I think you and Phil need to do a book together. Good girl. Yeah, be great. Be great. Yeah. You, you do it with us. Mm. You do it with us. It'd be great. Okay. You've Lovely. Okay. Thank you very much, Julie. Been a great, great pleasure. Thank you very much. When I speak to Julie on the phone, Tom, she says, you know why I enjoy talking to you, Steve? <laughs> Because you're one of the few people who swear more than me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, so, yeah, we've got great <laughs> memories together and we, we know the same sort of people. Tom's new to the gang, of course, but uh, we're, all, we're all in that same gang, that same Tottenham gang. And uh, long may we survive and not, not only survive, go and go and do go and do something and flourish as you say so thank you very much great to see you again i do appreciate it bye listeners hope you've, hope you've enjoyed it and um we'll see you 
I'm, I'm doing this podcast now once a fortnight, not every week. I'm not going to be driven by games um, because it just got too too sort of stressful in a way in terms of time. So um, we, we'll, we'll meet again in two weeks' time. Hope you've enjoyed it, listening to the great Julie Welch. <laughs>